0: 5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com i'm really thrilled to introduce our guest today on be brave at work sterling hawkins is out to break the status quo he believes that we can all unlock incredible potential within ourselves and he's on a mission to support people businesses and communities to realize that potential regardless of the circumstances from a multi-billion dollar startup from startup to collapse and coming back to launch, invest in, and grow over 50 companies, Sterling takes that experience to work with C-level teams from some of the largest organizations on the planet and speaks on stages around the world. Based in Colorado, Sterling serves as CEO and founder of the Sterling Hawkins Group, a research, training, and development company focused on human and organizational growth. He has also been seen in publications like Inc. Magazine, Fast Company, The New York Times, and Forbes. Sterling, we are so pleased to have you with us today.
1: Ed, it's great to be here. Thank you for such a generous introduction.
0: Well, I am going to ask you to tell us more because I think our listeners would love to hear from you a little bit more about kind of how you got to where you are today and how you are currently interacting in the marketplace.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you covered the the tactics of it, right? We're running workshops. I'm keynote speaking. I've got a book coming out here in about a month's time. And so that's what it looks like in the world. But really what we're aiming to do is unlock or maybe better said, unleash the inherent potential that's inside of each and every one of us and how we can align that potential to company goals to create breakthrough results. You know, we work with companies, but we work with the leaders of those companies. And it's only through transforming some of those leaders do the companies actually transform
0: well i do like the word unleash versus unlock cuz unlock makes it sound as though you're behind a cage or locked in somewhere where unleashing i think means that we all have the ability to do better than we are doing today and we just need someone to help us get there
1: there's no question i mean i, I look at this stuff as a mountain without a top you know no matter how much growth We achieve, no matter how many difficulties we overcome, there's always more things to continue climbing. And there's some real joy in that when you get connected to the limitless potential inside of everything. And, you know, I I got here through, you know, as you were saying in that introduction, through some big failures of my own. First company I started with my dad, sold to a group in Silicon Valley where it became uh, really the Apple Pay before Apple Pay. This is like early 2000s raised $550 million, multi-billion dollar valuation before, very long story short, it ended up going bankrupt. And yeah, I didn't see it at the time, but my identity and who I thought I was was so caught up in the company that when the company crashed, so did I. And I realized that I was living and operating in a very circumstantial way. It was always because of these things that then I could do this, if then. And that really kind of a dark moment, started to unleash some of the potential in myself that I had kept locked away and I didn't even know it. Building myself back was something that I really first did as a very personal journey for myself. And it wasn't until years into it that I started to realize, hey, wait a minute, this same process that I've been through, the same system that I'm using to grow, works for other people and other companies. And that really started what we're doing today.
0: Well, I love it when we have people who have an entrepreneurial bent in their personal development because we oftentimes or when we do talk to entrepreneurs, there's always this question as to whether or not entrepreneurs by nature are brave or risky. You know, a lot of people think entrepreneurs are brave, and yet when you speak to entrepreneurs, oftentimes they would say, no. You know, I was fearful the whole time we were doing whatever it was we were doing. I think we wanted to be different. I think we wanted to be risky. I'm curious, based on your experience, and you certainly have worked with a number of companies and have experienced some of these activities yourselves brave, risky, different. You know, what words would you attach to
1: the entrepreneurial spirit? Well, I think an important distinction is one between discomfort and actual danger. Because oftentimes we can feel very uncomfortable when there's no real risk, there's no real danger to us. Public speaking is a great example of that, right? Many people are very afraid to get up in the front of a conference room or stand up on a stage, but there's really no risk to them at a a physical level and probably even beyond that. And when we better align our perspective and our feelings to what's actually dangerous, Well, then we're able to grow and make a bigger impact in the ways that we want to achieve. And so when we look at entrepreneurs, I think that they're people that have um, really sorted through and pushed through their own discomfort to understand the specifics of what's dangerous, what's a smart risk versus maybe something that's actually going to hurt them down the line. And it does take practice. It's something that I don't think anybody is born with, but entrepreneurs really out of necessity have had to figure it out.
0: Well, and to some degree, I think they, in most cases, love it, right? They love the feel and the kind of roller coaster ride associated with entrepreneurialism or starting something that's never been done before or doing something different that may already exist than others. And that may be a key plus for them. And I'm just wondering, Sterling, you mentioned that you have a book coming out soon. What's the name of your book? (laughs)
1: Appropriately titled, Hunting Discomfort. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'll tell you, it, it came from not only being through some of those hard experiences myself, but I started like researching well before the book to understand some of the things that I was experiencing. And, you know, as I was saying before, well, what's actually dangerous and how come I'm having all these sensations of discomfort? Fear, anger, grief, embarrassment, all of those things that are not correlated to what's actually happening in the world. And I came across this research out of the University of Michigan. And they, funny enough, were studying discomfort, different kinds of discomfort, right? So physical discomfort, for example, you break a leg and emotional discomfort, you lose your job or maybe your significant other breaks up with you, whatever it is. And what they found in this study, doing brain scans of the people going through discomfort, was that no matter what kind of discomfort they were experiencing, physical, mental, emotional, the body and brain processed it almost identically. So much so, believe it or not, you can take Tylenol or acetaminophen to make your feelings feel better. And I sat with that for a while. I kind of took the next step to say, if how we deal with discomfort is basically the same, the more we meet discomfort anywhere, the better we can get at it everywhere. It's a muscle we can build. You know, everybody knows go to the gym to build your biceps. If you want to build your resiliency, you hunt discomfort. And back to what you're saying about entrepreneurs, I I think they get on a roll with that and they realize that they can build this discomfort muscle and it does create a high over time because it's just building on itself.
0: Well, I don't think we're suggesting to our listeners that if they need to say something to someone at work that requires bravery and they're feeling fear that they should take uh, Tylenol. No, <laughs> that would, certainly not. <laughs>
1: that it's definitely not medical advice. Don't do that.
0: Don't do that. But what you know people oftentimes say is that one of the reasons I don't say something to somebody at work, uh, even if it's in the spirit of helping them, which is one of the core contexts of being brave at work, is fear that I fear my job? I fear enduring the relationship. I fear having a different type of relationship with others. And not to put you on the spot, but when you think about this feeling of fear as it may relate to bravery at work, you know, what kind of thoughts or observations from experiences that you have had can you share with us?
1: Yeah, well, fear is a kind of discomfort to be sure. And it's probably the one that most of us can relate to. And, you know, it goes back to that discomfort muscle. The more that you meet fear or any kind of discomfort anywhere, the better you're going to get at it everywhere. So, you know, in theory, maybe I'm afraid of heights. I could go skydiving and all of a sudden that's going to unleash something in me to make my ability, my bravery, my courage to have that tough conversation at work a little bit easier, a little more manageable. You know, when I was uh, down and out after that uh, big company falling apart. I I felt like I was playing out kind of like a bad country song where not only did I no longer have a job, but eventually I ran out of cash. I go from this big, beautiful penthouse in downtown San Francisco to, believe it or not, my parents guest bedroom, which is not, I can tell you not a good look in your early 30s. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things that I was most fearful of is uh, speaking in public. Like I thought I had to be something, I was something, I identified with all the success and the money and everything that went along with that. And so when I didn't have it anymore, I I totally collapsed. And not to go too deep into it, but was dealing with anxiety and depression and really got into a dark place where I was fearful to do most anything. And as I say, top of the list was public speaking. And my mom said this thing to me when I was a kid and it came back to me, must have been because I was living in her house again. (laughs) She said, the way out is through. You heard that quote before? Mm -hmm. I have. Um, It's a Robert Frost quote. To me, it'll always be my mom. And, you know, I don't know, Ed, if the stars just aligned or the heavens opened up or whatever it was right there. My email dinged and it was an email blast about a conference in Singapore. You know, not specifically to me. It was something I'm sure they sent out to thousands of people. And I said, I'm going to test this thing out. If the way out is through, the way out through this fear, this situation that I'm in is through it, I'm going to apply to speak at this conference. So I hit the reply button. I said, why don't you have me speak? And I end up getting on the phone with the conference director and negotiate to be their keynote speaker, believe it or not, and practiced, obsessed about this thing for months. I mean, to say I was scared of what was coming is an understatement. I mean, I was having heart palpitations weeks out from the event. Getting on the plane, I'm thinking, Sterling, this is... This is insanity. You're afraid to speak in public. (laughs) You've had this huge failure. You're not who you thought you were anymore. And I know oftentimes I hear a lot that the more you practice, the less fear plays a role. And that may be true, but the fear that I was experiencing, I don't think has been paralleled in almost anything else I've done. Like I was extremely terrified. And I'm sitting out in the audience when the day finally comes and I call my name and I get up on stage and I'll tell you, it is a good thing I practiced because I think I blacked out. The room started spinning and my hands were shaking and I was incredibly hot. didn't help that it was about 110 degrees in Singapore at the time. And I get off the stage and I think I bombed. I'm kind of hiding my eyes from wanting to see anybody. And the conference director is making a beeline towards me. I can see him coming. And he looks me in the eyes when he catches up with me and he says, Sterling, that's the best talk I've seen in my 17 years of doing this. Wow. Right. I mean, to this day, I don't think he was in the same talk that I actually gave. I think he was in some <laughs> breakout room or something. And You know, what he did do, though, is he put me in touch with all of his conference director friends. And I had the beginnings of a, a speaking career on my hands. And it turns out that my mom was right. The way out is through, through the fear, through the embarrassment, through whatever it is. And that's really the the essence of not only how I live my life, but how we work with companies and the foundation of Why hunting discomfort makes sense in the first place.
0: Well, you mentioned something that I believe is very important for people who are looking to be braver in the workplace, which is this idea of practice. And oftentimes, Mm. you know, if there's something I want to say to you or that I feel I need to say to you that will help you in respect to your relationships with others or how you're leading a meeting, you know, I don't practice. I just walk in one day and out it comes and I don't say it the way that I wanted to say it and you get aggravated because you didn't want that feedback, etc. And in reality, I think, to quote you, you know, the more you practice, the less you fear it, you know, the better you get at what it is you want to say, how you want to say it, the way you want to say it, how you can deal with questions, how you can deal with deviations, you know, all those types of things come with practice.
1: Uh, true. I, and I think... You can also practice in different kinds of ways, like practice confronting that kind of discomfort. You know, a simple example that comes to mind is let's say you're at Starbucks in the morning and they put in four sugars instead of three. Now, oftentimes, maybe you just walk out because you don't want to confront that person. But to go through the mild discomfort, maybe major discomfort, depending on what your comfort levels are, to go back to the person at Starbucks and request a different coffee is going to build your courage, build your confidence, build your bravery to be able to have that tough conversation at work when it comes.
0: Look, I think there might be people who don't ask for a different cup of coffee because they don't have time or, you know, they it's win the battle or win the war and it doesn't seem Mm -hmm. important, et cetera. But for some people, I really believe they won't go back and ask for another cup of coffee because they are not brave enough that they fear that type of exchange with another person where they're, expressing dissatisfaction or you know I didn't get what I asked for type emotion and they are not brave and you know this is the point of our podcast is helping people identify these moments where you yeah. need to say what you need to say or do what you need to do and how to get there I love that we're talking about practice because I think practice is a key way to get better at what it is you want to say and how you want to say it and you know I love also that you talked a little bit about the fear of public speaking. We have had public speaking experts on our podcast in the past. Mm, nice. And, you know, we also hear that, you know, people fear public speaking more than they
1: fear death. Right. They'd rather be in the casket than <laughs> giving the eulogy. I love that's that right. Seinfeld line.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It's just like, I mean, that's how deep public speaking runs in our culture as a place that people fear. And yeah, you know, I'm curious from your perspective as someone who you know sweated it out on an airplane all the way to Singapore and then got up there and delivered a home run. <laughs> you know, why do you think people fear public speaking so much? You know, just what are some of your thoughts as to you know what it is about public speaking that
1: people are more afraid of than dying? Yeah, just to go back for one second because I think this is an important. Oftentimes, just as humans, we're very predisposed to rationalize and reason why we have the things that we have in life or business, right? We're gonna downplay that extra sugar in the coffee. We're gonna downplay saying something to somebody that might be uncomfortable. And we use it as a defense mechanism to actually confront the discomfort that's there. One of the biggest questions I get out in the marketplace and from clients is, hey Sterling, you know, I've got this going on with my team, this going on in some of these important relationships within my team, this going on in our bank account, this going on with clients. I don't need to hunt discomfort. I'm surrounded by it. And my answer is always the same, which means if you're surrounded by that much discomfort, you're not hunting it. You're living with it. You're rationalizing why you have the results that you have. And then don't be surprised that you have them, right? It's the emotion, that discomfort that is going to unlock, or as we were saying early, unleash any new results in life. So to come back to public speaking, remind me what you were asking me about being on stage that day.
0: Well, I was just curious from your perspective, and I recognize that you're not necessarily a philosopher of public speaking, but why people fear public speaking so much? What is it about public speaking that people fear it more than they fear death?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, there are five main discomforts that people deal with holistically. Every human, every part of the world, doesn't matter the business, doesn't matter the region, the culture, the ethnic background. Five discomforts that all of us confront, sure, at varying levels. The fear of public speaking, I think, is a fear of exposure, being accepted for who you are and how you're showing up. And I found some interesting information in some survival books, looking at evolution, saying, like, how have humans survived so long? And one of the ways that we've survived so long is because of each other, by being accepted into groups. And when humans or many other species are exiled or rejected by their groups, it doesn't just mean sadness or grief or depression. It actually means death. And so from a biological standpoint, that's actually what we're confronting when we're up on the stage. To open yourself to understand that whoever you are and however you're presenting, especially if you're opening up and coming from the heart, is not only not going to be rejected, but oftentimes celebrated and connected with by many in the audience is a big hurdle to overcome. But it's that fear of not being accepted that I think is at the root of why it's so scary to so many people, myself included.
0: Well, to some degree, it may be that subliminally, and you know, going back to our ancestors, uh, public speaking, you know, or being isolated from others was a form of death. <laughs> so it feels hey, that's right. You know, it feels very similar to death itself.
1: And that's right. And I think one of the ways that many of us make up for that, not just in business, but in general, is to create a a facade or a persona that we can easily change depending on if we're at work with this client, with that client, with our family. We can put on these uh, different masks, if you will, so that if we're rejected, it's not actually us that's being rejected. It's the mask. So it's a way to deflect or maybe better said, protect yourself from the discomfort of potentially being rejected. And what it results in is what Fernando Flores, business writer, would call cordial hypocrisy. You know, basically sharing niceties and platitudes with people that, you know, may not rock the boat, but they're not going to make a difference. And when companies, especially startups, but all companies get imbued with too much cordial hypocrisy, it's the beginning of the end and they'll start to decline.
0: Well, that as well sounds like a fascinating topic, but unfortunately, we have run out of time for today, Sterling. I want to thank you for joining us today. And if any of our listeners are interested in talking with you or hearing more about the work that you're doing, how can they get in
1: touch with you? Thanks. It's been great being here with you. Uh, You can find more about me at sterlinghawkins.com. All my social media is there. Uh, Information about the book coming out, you can uh, pre-order it now. All of that is on sterlinghawkins.com. So I appreciate the chance to share that.
0: Great. And once again, the book is called Hunting Discomfort.
1: Exactly. Sold anywhere great books are sold. (laughs) Well, Sterling, thank you
0: so much for being a guest today on Be Brave at Work. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate being here. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com.